I'm Emily Hawthorne, a Middle East and North Africa analyst at Stratfor, and this podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, our premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analyses. Individual, team, and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. Clearly, this is the stuff that we think about up in the Pentagon. We question ourselves in a lot of the military periodicals whether we can fight a two-front war. We know our enemies read those, and the enemies, in the case of Red Metal, looked at it and said, well, if they can't fight a two-front war, what would happen if we tried a three-front? Welcome to the Stratfor Podcast. I'm Faisal Pervez. The geopolitics of rare earth metals and the growing international race to secure access to and supply chains from them have been frequent topics of focus for the analysts at worldview.stratfor.com. Now, rare earth metals in a global battle between Russia and the United States are at the center of a sprawling high-action thriller from Mark Graney and Lieutenant Colonel Hunter Rip Rawlings IV. You know that's the kind of book that will grab the attention of Stratfor's Chief Security Officer, Fred Burton, for our Pen and Sword podcast. Let's listen in. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with Mark Graney and Rip Rawlings, and they've written a thriller called Red Metal. Mark, Rip, thanks for joining Stratfor today. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Mark, tell us a little bit about the storyline with Red Metal. It's a uh, a world of thriller about uh, a military uh, invasion by Russia of NATO forces at Christmas. Um, that is just one of the objectives of the Russian uh, the Russians in this book. Um, it's a sort of a large scale military thriller, reminiscent maybe of Red Storm Rising back in the eighties, kind of uh, epicy, a lot of different storylines all sort of weaving in together. Of course, Red Storm Rising, I remember reading that when I was an agent in 1986. Uh, it was mm-hmm. hard to put down. It was amazing to me about the number of people that were on actually working in the field that was reading that. I'm sure uh, that's going to resonate with our audience. Rip, tell me a little bit about your Marine Corps background. You've got a very impressive resume. <laughs> well, you're nice to say it. So almost 23 years in the service, um, I've gotten 10 deployments and one back surgery. That's kind of the way I like to break it down. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, after 23 years, usually you got a few ailments and, and my back finally gave out. But I'm a tall guy, so I probably deserved it. But I, I do recall every single time that I, I told myself I was going to regret doing something, whether it was pulling mortars up a hill or whatever the case is. And finally, uh, I needed to go in and get the surgery. But so 23, almost 23 years and, and then uh, set for retirement. Well, I thank you for your service. That's uh, a wonderful career. And as I was reading Red Metal, I'm, I'm struck by the fact that this is a complex story with A-10 pilots, a Polish militia member, uh, an aging French spy. Rip, when you start looking at this from your military background and uh, the storyline with, let's face it, World War III possibly, uh, how much of this is uh, out of the war gaming sphere? Yeah, so it's – it, clearly, this is the stuff that we think about up in the Pentagon. So I, I had the depends on how you think of the unfortunate or the fortunate uh, duties of being a Pentagon strategic planner. And obviously, this is the stuff we're paid to think about all the time. So not only is it kind of directly out of the things that we worry about, but we really built on that and came up with conceptually what would happen. I think the first part of it that your readers will recognize pretty fluidly 
is that we question ourselves in a lot of the current periodicals and military periodicals, whether we can fight a two front war. So we know our enemies read those and the enemies in the case of red metal uh, looked at it and said, well, if they can't fight a two front war, what would happen if we tried a three front? So really it is, it's yeah, currently uh, based on all the stuff that we worry about in the Pentagon. Mark, I know you worked with Tom Clancy, which is just an amazing experience. And, and we talked about that the last time you were on for mission critical in working with, um, Rip, how did you guys divvy up the responsibilities uh, as to who does what when it comes to putting the manuscript together? You know, we get asked that question a lot, and I and we didn't I didn't really think about it until I was asked. And um, and the truth is, it morphed over time because uh, neither of us had done this before in this way, this level of collaboration. But the short answer is, I Rip and I were friends first, and uh, I knew he's a good writer, interesting guy, and then we would just spend a ton of time together. Uh, here, there, and everywhere. Um, and then we started talking about, you know, our love of old military thrillers and, you know, things that were happening geopolitically today and all that. And that just morphed into an idea for a book. And um, together, he and I spent a few months laboring over like a plot, and we came up with a 91 chapter outline. And I went and got the book deal with that. And from that outline, we kind of divvied up uh, plot lines and, and wrote for a while. And then he'd give me his stuff, and I'd give him my stuff. And then we'd We'd see if we were still, you know, on on uh, parallel paths, and uh, it went back and forth like that. Honestly, from uh, late 2000, you know, fall of 2016 is when we started, and uh, April of 2019 is when we turned in the last edits. From just the process perspective, I know working with a co-author on uh, some of my past projects that uh, uh, the the workload is certainly. Uh, balanced and and divvied out and it's almost easier from my end to to work with somebody on this what's what's your experience from that aspect rip you know it's interesting i interviewed larry bond for my website he's the guy that wrote red storm rising with tom clancy all those years ago and i think he gave us the best a quote that encompasses the best kind of how we work together he larry bond said it takes both authors, 60% effort in order to make a successful collaboration. Really, that kind of encompasses the yeah. stuff you're going to throw out, uh, the stuff that, you, you know, that you're know that you not maybe too happy with and eventually doesn't make it into the final version. So we really did that. I mean, it's, it's almost like writing, I think, each of us a separate novel because the, the amount of labor that goes into it. But it's a very big story. This is not a small story. It's not for the timid. There's a lot that goes on. It's very sweeping. Um, and you've got some very intelligent characters. And I think that's the difficult part. When Mark was on before, I, I think I might have said that. Uh, I'm certainly not smart enough to write fiction, Mark. And you've made a very successful career of, of putting together these brilliant thrillers. Uh, I don't think you... I'm that smart. I'm just a big reader of, of books. And that's how I got started. Well, I, I beg to differ you on that. It takes real talent to put one of these things together and to keep keep a story moving along. When you start thinking about that from a character development perspective, when when you're looking at Red Metal, what was the most complex character that you thought that you had to think about and, and really struggle with bringing that to the page? From the very beginning, I would tell Rip over and over and over, I probably did this for three years, that you know we had to be careful that we could, you know, we had to keep this manageable and reined in. And even though it's a big story, it's a, uh, you know, roughly 650 pages, 217,000 words. Um, you know, we wanted it to be a, a fast pace with a good narrative 
through line, they call it, to where, you know, the, the readers can follow. And we wanted to do that as honestly as possible and not have one character that happens to be in every, you know, firefighter, every theater, you know, it just, that just wouldn't make sense. So we tried to, you know, take all these different plot lines. But for me, um, in answer to your question, I would say the adversaries, um, these three Russians, uh, two generals and a colonel, who are two of them are running the spearhead and one is sort of the, the architect of the, of the entire plan. It was very important to me and it is in all my books that the villains are not guys wearing black hats. You know, they, their objective makes perfect sense to them. I just, what I want the reader to believe, you know, I don't want the reader to root for them, obviously, but at the same time, I want them to say, okay, the motivations that Colonel Borbakov has are driving him through the story. He's not being driven because, you know, some writer wrote a plot to a story and needs a bad guy to come in and check off all the boxes. And the same thing with General Boris Lazar and General uh, Edward Sabanayev. Um, all these characters have sort of different motivations. And getting the adversaries right, I think, is, is huge in this type of a book. Rip Rawlings is an active duty Marine and a combat veteran. Situational awareness in any set of circumstances, from travel to business to conflict, is a critical key to success. At Stratfor, our proprietary geopolitical risk monitor is a valuable tool to actively monitor geopolitical developments that may affect your operations. Stratfor Enterprise and Stratfor ThreatLens help leaders identify, anticipate, and mitigate risks that emerging threats pose to your people and interests. Stratfor pinpoints evolving global events so leaders can forecast and implement protective measures with confidence. You can learn more at stratfor.com slash enterprise. And Rip, uh, I know from coming out of the government service where I work too, folks like us are at times our our own worst critics uh, and people will read stories and say, well, you guys got that right or you guys got that wrong, so to speak. So did you think about that from your aspect of just all your experience from the battlefield to the Pentagon when you're putting that together? We did. I mean, so we really focused on authenticity. So the book, not only are the locations authentic, but Mark is really good at doing on location research. So we did some research tours together and we visited Germany together. We talked to the last one star general in charge of the Panzer Corps in Germany. He gave us kind of the goods on the German uh, tank scenes that we have in there. We went out to Nellis Air Force Base. Uh, uh, Mark went over to Poland. I visited a special forces officer for the 13th Dragoons over in France. Not only did we do a heavy amount of research, I mean, as Mark said, we did three years really of uh, research and writing, but we also, you know, talked to a lot of folks out there who were doing it. That's amazing research. Uh, I applaud you for that kind of effort. Mark, I read where you wrote uh, in one of your other interviews words to the effect of that readers expect a faster pace today with less detail. And what do you mean by that when you say readers expect a faster pace? Just from my, you know, reading, this isn't like I've done market research or the publisher hasn't told me this or whatever, but just my experience reading these books for a long time, um, you know, in the 80s and 90s when Clancy was writing these big kind of monster books, there would be an intricate amount of detail. Now, I feel like Clancy was sort of given is given short shrift by people who say that he was more about the equipment than the characters, because I think the only reason that Clancy book, you know, Jack Ryan's is still around and, and very strong is because, it, you know, just the power of that character and the family involved and all this and the, and the other characters. So I think that was something 
Clancy was quite good at, but there's a lot of technical detail in there. And I, and I, I can't remember the number of pages now, but in the Sum of All Fears, a, a Clancy novel where there's a nuclear detonation, you know, it's about six pages or five pages just of the how the the bomb, you know, detonates or whatever. And, you know, I, I kind of joke that it's like, I guess if I'm writing that today, I'm just going to say boom. And then maybe <laughs> you just tell you what the bomb is and, and then what happens of it. So it, it's very important that we do have technical detail. I mean, it's when I did the Clancy books after he passed away, I wanted to put a fair amount in and to show that it's authentic or that, you know, the story is credible. But at the same time, I don't want to get bogged down in the minutia of, you know, exactly how this munition, you know, flies and and you know the, how the warhead detonates and all that sort of stuff um there is some of that in here but y- you will see it's restrained as compared to uh some military thrillers in the 80s and 90s mark let me ask you a follow-up question regarding clancy because i i can't tell you how many uh nights and trips he kept me uh entertained as i was traveling around the world what do you think is the best tom clancy novel that you did not participate in I, um, I, I've given different answers to that. I, I think Hunt for Red October is scene for scene, like one of the best books ever written. But I think my favorite one, just for, for like entertainment purposes and just, you know, where I was in my life when I read it, you can always sort of remember those things, is, um, is um, uh, Clear and Present Danger, which came out in 89, I, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. I love that. I love that book. But I mean, Red October, even the film Red October is one of my favorite movies. Uh, Hunt for Red October is one of my favorite films. And it follows the book as well as the film can. And it's a it's a pretty perfect novel. Yeah, without a doubt. That was a great one. Uh, Rip, who influenced you when you start looking at uh, writers and just growing up or as you're sitting around in your travels around the globe? You know, I've, I've got a wide uh, variety of things I like to read. I think one of the nice things about getting closer to retirement is I'm able to read more for pleasure. Um, as you know, a lot of my reading was manuals and doctrine. <laughs> so in some ways, <laughs> you mean the, uh, you mean yeah, the Marine so, Corps has such things? Yeah, well, yeah, we do. We do. So in some ways, I think, you know, breaking out uh, to do reading and to do writing has been a pleasure because I'm getting back to the things I loved back in college. I've got degrees in English literature and German literature. So you know, getting back to reading for pleasure has been one of the greatest things as I get closer to retirement. Let me ask you, Rip, what are you reading right now? You know, it's funny because <laughs> this is awful, but I remembered Anna Karenina from way back in the day, the, the Leo Tolstoy, and I picked it up uh, kind of almost on a whim the other day, and I can't put it down. So I'm in the middle of Anna Karenina again. Awesome. How about you, Mark? What are you reading? That's a, a tough question for me right now. I, I'm two weeks away from the deadline for my ninth Gray Man book. So um, I guess I'm reading me right now. I hate to say it. Um, and I'm looking forward to doing something else. I always sort of have a, a stack of books to do blurbs for. You know, we read the book and, and, and do a comment on it. So my stack's not that high as compared to, to all that. I still haven't read the third Jason Matthews, uh, you know, part of the Red Sparrow trilogy. And I've got that on my nightstand. So that's the next one that I'm going to pick up when it's like, all right, you know, it's a quiet night. I'm going to, I'm going to start reading. Oh, I, I won't spoil it for you, but I have <laughs> read uh, that one. That is a good one. So for you, Mark, uh, your next book is part of the Gray Man series. Is this a follow up to Mission Critical? Any teaser for us? What's that about? Um, it, it's the first time I've done a gray man book in the first person. So that's a unique aspect of it, but it involves, um, uh, court gentry, the gray man on a solo mission that kind of goes wrong. And he spends the rest of the book 
trying to rectify it. I did some location research in Bosnia and Herzegovina and Croatia and Italy, and then um, some time in Los Angeles. And these are all uh, locations in the book. Can't wait to read that one. And we'll most certainly get you on when that comes out. And, and Rip, what are you working on right now? So you're nice to ask. I got a two book deal with Kensington and my first book is called Assault Block Fire. It's uh, due out next year in November. I wish you all the best of luck with your book tour, and I know you've got signings underway. And Mark and Rip, thank you so much for joining Stratfor Talks today regarding your book, Red Metal. Thanks a lot, Fred. Really appreciate that. And thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for joining us for this conversation with Fred Burton, Mark Graney, and Rip Rawlings. We'll have more reading suggestions from worldview.stratfor.com in our show notes. If you like this conversation, please subscribe to our podcast. You can find us in all the usual places, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and of course, worldview.stratfor.com. If you would like to know more about how Stratfor can help you with analytical tools, to visualize and anticipate areas in the world where interests and operations are at greatest risk, be sure to visit us at stratfor.com slash enterprise. For more geopolitical intelligence and links to our content, follow us on Twitter at Stratfor and check us out on LinkedIn and Facebook. I'm Faisal Pervez. Thanks for listening.